If you are hearing those notes, that's right, the bells have rung, and you have arrived in a violation zone, a hazard area. Welcome to Jubilee Street, a music podcast. We will write you your citation for jaywalking soon, jaywalkers, but in other news, we are covering... A new song this week on Jubilee Street Day Music Podcast. I am your host, Jake Curtis, joined here with my co-host, Ian McCurtis. Ian, say hi. Tell them what's good. Hello. Air horns are technically bells. And this week we're talking about... Ian McCurtis, 2022. Let the bells ring. See the many that ever lived and died See the unending golden state See all of us that have come behind Clutching at your head Ian, what are your thoughts on the last couple of songs we've discussed? And then from that, going into Let the Bells Ring. Uh, how, what, what... How do you feel about these songs? This part of these, this part of the record, you know. Um, let the audience know. Well, the last couple songs, I feel like supernaturally was. We didn't have much to say. We just bullshitted that whole episode. But <laughs> I really like that song. But this is an album that is kind of a concept album, and then the songs that break away from the kind of mythology or the sort of grandiose rock and roll themes. The song, like, Supernaturally, it's just kind of, like, taking it down a notch. It's not much to talk about. There's, like, I don't want to say filler, but the album's so long, it's a double album, that there's, like, you know, it waxes and wanes. This album is kind of an outlier, or this song's kind of an outlier because it doesn't uh, really fit the narrative of, this, of the album at all. This is a song for Johnny Cash and memory of Johnny Cash. So I'm glad you brought that up. I want to talk about Johnny Cash a little bit later, but you know me, I kind of like to be a big picture guy. You know, I have to use like big magnetic letters on the alf on the refrigerator to like spell out things. And, you know, um, I'm a big idea kind of guy. And I had this thought while I was, uh, you know, on the elliptical the other day, and I was like, all of the Abitois Blues songs that we've covered in this residency have made me think of like a sound, like a particular tone, like a, a guitar tone, a type of songwriting. And it reminded me, it came to me, I finally, I had their name on the tip of my tongue in the last six weeks, but I just couldn't, I couldn't make the connection. But I, I realized that with this song, this is a lot like me without you. All of these songs are very similar to me without you. How so? I don't I don't immediately see the connection. Well, I think that with you know, let the bells ring, there's the kind of like like it's kind of got that spacey like little guitar. No, it is kind of like a Mike Weiss guitar part. Yeah, and then like the kind of explosive moments of supernaturally Breathless has almost kind of an energy like January 1979, if it mm, were like... Kind of like Fiji Mermaid. Yeah, yeah. So, like, 
I just kind of felt like, and and even the style of songwriting is kind of, you know, jubilant and, um, which is a word that we use for our fans on Jubilee Street. We're, you're uh, very jubilant fans. I don't know. It just made me think of Me Without You's kind of like rapturous, like Christian energy. And I think that that's kind of what Nick and the band was going for on this is like a balls to the wall, like, you know, let's make an album that would also double as like a, you know, giant Christian, like evangelical, like rock opera kind of thing, minus the opera, minus the evangelical and Nick and the Bad Seeds case. But I don't know. I just wanted to make a case for that. I thought it was it would be an interesting comparison to make. I could be wrong. Controversial opinion, maybe. I think that's a very interesting idea. Obviously, I don't. Almost certainly, the Bad Seeds weren't drawing influences from Me Without You. I would assume at least some of the members of Me Without You, like Nick Cave. But I do see a similarity in the um, Me Without You is a band that's like raised very religious. The two songwriters are raised in a Jewish slash Muslim household and then were Christians at a young age. And then they're kind of making mostly secular music, but using religious ideas to do so. Yo. And Nick Cave does the same thing a lot. He, you know, makes mostly secular music using religious ideas. Same exact thing. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I I I thought it was worth bringing up. Like, um, like I said, I kind of like to sort of like synthesize everything we've talked about with these last couple songs. And I realize, you know, part of the podcast is there's is going to be some bullshitting and some like playing around. But I think as a collection of songs, these are all really interesting in their own ways. I think they're all very good examples of like, kind of like, it's it's as if like they all sort of took a back seat to what they would usually do because I don't think there's another Bad Seeds record like this one before and after it. And it was really interesting to see, like, I think Nocturama is kind of the album that just gets tossed to the side a lot of the time. And I think that this has a lot more, like, compelling qualities to it. But I do feel like there are moments where, and I don't think this song in particular, but breathless supernaturally i think that those were a little bit more vapid and straight to the point whereas hidden all away and um let the bells ring i think are you know less surface level a little bit deeper yeah and we kind of like maybe we should have spaced out what we picked better because there's a lot of like heavier songs this album thematically carry me old children this one nature Nature Boy, boy easy money we kind of picked yeah. two of the sillier ones kind of back to back. But that's but all right, you know, nature. such is the nature of our podcast. Like we were, there's a random element to it. Like we're not, we're, we're curating our content, but we do kind of like, hey, what do we want to talk about? And then you and I kind of go back and forth. I might give you a ring on your old, you know, landline because you don't like, you don't trust cell phones. And, you know, we talk for a little bit. You let me know what you're thinking and. You know, it's kind of hard to hear you because you're usually wearing your space helmet and I don't have a space can't hear helmet. you that well. Um, <laughs> I just you're continuing the narrative that Nick Cave started <laughs> when he mentioned my idiot prayer cover that I... Whoa, whoa, are we, are we starting a beef with Nick Cave? Yeah, I do not wear a space sa- helmet. 
<laughs> or what oh, did he man. call it? He called it a hazmat suit. I wear a suit. Hazmat suit. suit. Yeah. Nick but Cave, get it right. Get it get it right, Nick Cave. It's a hazmat suit, not a helmet. He knows. He knows I'm angry. Still. He anywho, um, Let's get into the Johnny Cash of it all. Well, let's go back. Well, no, let's go back to the religious thing real quick because the chorus. Oh, we got a we got a, got a bossy podcast host on here. All right, fine. Let's go back. Let's go back. The chorus is just simply "Let the bells ring." He is the real thing. Which uh-huh. doesn't that sound like it would be a church hymn? Like it's not usually Nick Cave's style to be so simple. Ron Jake's looking. Someone texted him. I think it was Warren Ellis. No, I'm 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 reading the lyrics while you're talking. You know, it's very simple. It's just not Nick Cave's style. The way I the way I imagine it is, he's trying to make it sound like a church hymn, maybe in honor or in reference to all the religious music Johnny Cash made. Well, he had that like um, church tour, right? Johnny Cash, like he did the church circuit for a while. Yeah, for a long time he was making and then I, religious that, music, and and then he he went broke or he they stopped booking him or something i don't know the exact story i remember there's like a there's a broken record podcast that's really good about johnny cash but so for listeners who are interested there's a check out broken record podcast they've got an episode that's about the uh basically the sort of like rise and fall of johnny cash and then when he kind of gained resurgence by working with rick rubin on the um american uh I guess they're like, I don't know if I'd call it an anthology, but they're all like collections of covers and uh, it's some really cool stuff. Yeah, but I mean, Johnny Cash was always, you know, at some points in his career, he was making strictly religious music, but he was always yeah. kind of playing that preacher character that Nick Cave kind of plays. Um, and I feel like that's what this song is speaking to. So you honed in a lot on the lyric... For the chorus, let the bells ring. He is the real thing. The ones that 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 I saw. Uh, well, I'm just saying that sounds the most religious. That sounds like it could be about God, like a church song about God. He being, you know, God being real. I see. Okay, okay, I see what you mean. Never mind then. That that cancels out my point. I think there's a simplicity there. Let the bells ring. He is the real thing. That does not sound like a Nick Cave line at all. I think mm-hmm. that's him deliberately trying to play off of something that's more johnny cash like if it were like a traditional like nick cave lyric it'd probably be like you know let the hell's bells swell and ring uh he is the real you know insert reference to wh auden quote thing you know that kind of stuff yeah and i had a rosary up his ass while he was sucking my cock yeah, well, I was going to make a joke about the line, uh, see all of us that have come behind clutching at your hem. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you I'm, know, sure, I'm behind. Sure, uh, sure our boy Nick had a strong urge to make that sexual. He 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 had to abstain. The rest so of the speak, band you know? uh, had to sit him down and be like, let's, let's keep this one uh, PG for Johnny Cash. You think Nick was like uh, Jeremy Strong on the set of Secession during this record? Like he was like not fun at all. And he was like, if people made like dirty jokes, he'd be like, no, none of that. God is in the house. You know, I'd like to think about that. Just with all the uh, various incarnations of Nick Cave, I bet album to album, he's very different in the studio. 
Yeah, like you know, like kind of like a Daniel Day Lewis of yeah, the bad seeds. Actor. Like he, yeah, he's like you know he comes in dressed in like a. Well, he's always wearing full suits, but maybe he's got like an ascot, and they're like, "Hey, Nick, what's up?" And you know, he's he just starts talking differently, like in a British accent, mm. or you know, he he's like completely different. I, I I'd like to imagine that. Um, yeah, no, I I see what you're saying about the lyrics. I think that um, I think they're sad. I think they're they're just celebrating a very important person to Nick. Um, I think that the line that stuck out to me was the. Uh, where the odd and the mediocre weight barely fit to ring the bells. And I feel like that's like a, my interpretation would just be that it's just, it's a fitting line for someone who was so, you know, monolithic in their, you know, presence as Johnny Cash for a long time in American music. And if there's anything that Nick Cave likes to do, it's he likes to pay tribute to the monoliths of American and, you know, music culture uh, it's easy to see the pe- the influences that he carries on his sleeves you know this a little bit of elvis definitely all the like old blues artists and rhythm and blues artists so yeah it's touching he can tell he really loved this guy i don't really think these lyrics are all that good i think they're i mean it's definitely not the nick cave song i would choose to be the johnny cash tribute song if we're gonna go that far but i don't want to be insensitive it's not, I mean, what the fuck? We've been doing this for 100 episodes. See how you feel. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think that... See, the weird thing we talk about all the time is that the lyrics are what sort of bring us to the table. Like, that's what we really chew on. And this mm-hmm. song, the lyrics are just kind of... I feel like secondary to the feeling of the song. So I think this yeah. song is incredible. But I think unlike most Nick Cave songs, this song isn't incredible because of the lyrics. It's just the... The vocal performance, the way the chorus hits, the way it feels. Yeah. It feels like a good tribute to Johnny Cash, but a, a lot of Nick Cave songs you could just read as a poem and it would hit you. And this one is so sort of simple and just doesn't have the normal Nick Cave cleverness, but I don't think that's what he was going for either. What do you think he was going for? That I don't know, because like, the verses don't feel like a normal Nick Cave song either. I don't know if if he was trying to write like Johnny Cash or what that would even look like. I don't know, maybe. I, I really don't know. I don't know. Do you think there's something to be said that like simplicity sometimes is a difficult aspect of like songwriting to pull off? And maybe this song's, like, if he was changing how he wrote things to maybe pay tribute or homage to Johnny Cash that maybe like that simplicity was lost on a band that you know might not do that same kind of thing it could be I I don't know maybe he just had that chorus to let the bells ring and he knew Mm -hmm. he wanted that to hit and everything else was just building to that because you know I think the song is really effective it's really powerful on the live record that came out along this time he you know, intros the song by saying it's for Johnny Cash, and it's just so mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah, that's a, that's another thing about the Bad Seeds in general is I feel like there's a lot of songs that most of the time their songs hit recorded, but I feel like it's a and it's an experience that's rewarded by going to see them live. This is also an odd one because, um, I mean, jog my memory for me, Jake. The only song I can think of with like a 
good guitar riff is Jubilee Street, and then this one. Mm-hmm. Like they don't do a lot of guitar riffs. There's not songs. a lot of riffing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what you remember from the song is that guitar riff. Yeah, yeah, I really like the the intro and then the way that the song kind of returns back to that riff. Yeah, it's it's really good stuff. Um, something I can never tell um, is if Warren is playing these what sound like guitar riffs on a violin. There's something about the way the guitar is like uh, produced or the tone that they get that makes it sound more like a like traditional string instrument than an than like an electric guitar. Which I think is a testament to like the way that the, these musicians like know what sounds good and know what they want the mm-hmm. record to sound like. Um, but I do agree with you. I think this song is very impactful as a total performance. I think, unfortunately, the lyrics are not necessarily like a glaring error, but they are kind of like lacking in ways that I'd like to see more. I feel I feel like it's. It's just touching enough, you know, we know that no one's going to hold a candle to Johnny Cash, but it just kind of seems like maybe the real way we could pay tribute to this guy is like going bigger, going stronger, and we're talking about a record that's almost 20 years old, right? Come 2023? When did this album come out? I always forget. Uh, 2003. 2003, yeah. Or no, this came out in 2004, sorry. Johnny Cash died in 2003. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were in freaking 6th grade, I think. 7th or 8th grade. Yeah. No, wait, you'd be right. We would be going from 6th to 7th. Crazy. I, I remember uh, being at our middle school. I remember when I heard Johnny Cash died. How'd you feel? Um, I, I So I remember being in TMS. I remember being on the third floor and like someone in the hallways talking about it. Like, it might have even been a teacher or something. I just remember feeling like it was a big deal because uh, my grandpa loved Johnny Cash so much. He was just, like, a big figure in my childhood. My dad doesn't like country music, but he liked Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. I just, like, I heard him a lot as a kid. And in middle school, I probably didn't really care about him, but I knew knew he was, like, an important person to the world. And I was like, oh, shit, this is Mm -hmm. a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I unfortunately don't remember that, but my, like, first recognition of Johnny Cash was, it was probably in a movie or, like, a TV show or something where they played, fuck, I can't, why am I blanking on the name? It's, like, his pop most popular song, Ring of Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fell into a burn ring of fire. Like, you can Tony hear Hawk, that. Tony Hawk, Underground 2. Tony Hawk, Underground 2, yeah. Let me fucking finish my sentence, stealing my thunder over here. Um, yeah, Tony Hawk Underground 2, uh, aside from being a great game, amazing soundtrack and the, they got so wacky in that game with like what you could skate on in those environments. Like I'm pretty sure, I think there was a level that was like, it was pretty cool. It was like, I think it was Bam Margera's like house, but, um, I could just be misremembering that because I was also watching Bam Margera's show a lot at the time I played that game. But yeah, that's that's what I always think of when I think of Johnny Cash. That and then the uh, Mercy Seat cover, which we probably talk about at least once a month on the podcast, I'd say. You know, a quick aside, what's cool about Ring of Fire, just like the way country mu- music has evolved over the years. So like in the 50s and 60s, 
I, re- I remember reading once that it was kind of said that white people play country and black people play jazz, mm-hmm. but they're really not that different back then. And uh-huh. Ray Charles, Ray Charles would put out records, you know, he'd put out a quote unquote jazz record and then a quote unquote country and Western record. And they wouldn't be that different. It would just be mm. one was marketed to white people. One was marketed to black people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you see that same spirit in a song, a ring of fire. That's like, you know, he, he's like accompanied by like a mariachi band. You know, it's very Mexican feeling. Oh yeah. 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 And the way most of us like fucking whatever you want to call us, PC woke people, the way we think of country music is like racist and blah, blah, blah. Just everything you've heard a million times before. But then you think of like country music back then pulling from other cultures and, you know, being, di- you know, somewhat diverse for the time. And it's just cool to think about. It is cool to think about. I feel like country music now is, is like queer because of Lil Nas X and Orville Peck and the people that kind of like played with the genre a little bit. Yeah. Have you heard about this lavender country guy? I haven't. No. He, he, uh, you know, he's like in his sixties or seventies. Now he put out what is, what is known to be the first queer country record in the seventies, like 1971. Mm -hmm. And then I think he just stopped playing music his whole life. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know if it's what you're talking about, this Lil Nas X Orville Peck wave. Somehow mm-hmm. people like found it again, and this guy's like having his moment of fame as a senior citizen, as this like <laughs> queer country artist. And That's he, cool. I think he put out his second album, like his sophomore effort mm-hmm. at like 70 years old. It's really cool. That, that just makes me wonder if there's like a, I don't know why I have this thought, but I, it makes me wonder like, how many like albums like that were like maybe getting put out on small labels back in that time that nobody's ever heard yet that might get uncovered by some person who digs for obscure country music kind of like that or just specifically like queer country music like country music that couldn't be released to the mainstream in fear that they might get you know physically uh hurt or you know worse mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's tons because that's an idea that exists all throughout country music. Like mm-hmm. Willie Nelson has songs about like you know cowboys liking other cowboys, and there's you know that's a thread that goes through that culture. Not that sure. I'm gay, I can't really say this, but I do. You do have to wonder like, is there anything more gay than a cow than two cowboys? Like. It it just can it can definitely come off as gay. I think. Yeah, I think I think like to. It just it just reminds me of like like the leather thing with and then like there's like a there's like a subculture. I, again, I'm not gay. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but there's like a whole like subculture about like wearing leather and like bootlicking and like a like a law enforcement kind of thing. I know I don't know enough about it to speak like genuinely about it. So anyone that's listening, I don't want to offend anybody. But it's like, it's pr- like two cowboys together is pretty sexy. No, I know what you mean. I mean, I think about that all the time with wrestling. Like, what's more homoerotic than wrestling? Yeah. And I love wrestling. I, I come to it for a certain thing. The same thing I like superhero stuff for. Yeah. Uh, but I recognize there's a lot of fucking gay men out there in the world that are watching wrestling uh-huh. for another reason. And I, I recognize <laughs> maybe, it. Maybe so. I, 
again, I don't know enough about that, but I do have to say, like, if you watch Brokeback Mountain, the movie's a whole lot better in the parts where Anne Hathaway's not there. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I get the, like, cowboy fantasy, I'm sure, yeah, that, like, probably for a lot of gay youth, like, that's a fantasy you have. It's a great fantasy. I mean, who doesn't who doesn't like the idea of, you know, getting, you know, putting some nice boots on, fucking riding a horse with your best friend, and then copulating afterwards? Consensually, of course. This would be the episode to have Nick Cave on. I bet he would have a lot to say on this idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't dislike country. It is, it, I think it's done very well, and the country songs that you and Mike and... Um, those are pretty much uh, Haley. Haley listens to a lot of country. I always really enjoy it, but it's not something that I seek out. And like Orville Peck isn't really somebody that I'm very like well versed in their music. Uh, the songs that I have heard aren't aren't are, are are good songs, but they don't draw me back to listening to him again. So I think I think what I like more about Orville Peck is like the look. I like the the mask and the outfit. And I kind of feel like that's the appeal for me, but the music I could, you know, I, I would have to spend more time with it to have a real opinion about it. So back to let the bells ring, let the bells ring. Jing, jing, jing. So we talked, we've talked about the mercy seat cover at nauseum. Like you said, Nick cave covered the singer on the covers album, um, kicking against the pricks. And then, they did a duet together of the Hank Williams "I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry." Um, on I one need of those to hear American, that. I haven't heard that American. cover. Oh, it's it's great. Yeah, they like you know go back and forth, trade off lines. Um, but I saw this really funny story. Nick Cave said in an interview about that experience, where he said that Johnny Cash had had pneumonia a lot. Um, over the course of that time frame. And Nick Cave didn't know of when he was going to record with him if Johnny Cash would be healthy enough to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said he flies into wherever Johnny, you know, I'm guessing probably like LA because of Rick Rubin. And Johnny Cash is feeling good enough to sing. And Nick Cave said that Johnny Cash was like, you know, I don't, I don't ever ask God for anything, but. I ask God, please let my voice be okay so I can sing with Nick Cave today. Aww. <laughs> and you know how, like, old old people sometimes just have that way of making you feel special? Like, I doubt Johnny Cash really cared about Nick Cave, but he just, like, was that, like, grandfatherly presence that was just, like, I'm going to make this guy feel like he's yeah. so important, you know? What a kind really sweet. thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. A really, it's really sweet. I feel like old people, uh, like, sometimes have that way of just, like, Making random people they meet feel really special. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I don't know if it just comes with age, but there is like something about like an older person like showing you attention that means a lot. I think maybe it has something to do with that their time's limited at that point. Like, you know, as you get old. You know, I, I don't see Johnny Cash sitting around listening at Cave. Uh-huh. Uh, but to him, that means nothing to show that kindness. And Nick Cave is going to remember that moment the rest of his life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well put. It's, it's a very beautiful moment to think about. So I'm sure that was probably a moment going through his head, you know, when the decision came to make a song like this. Have you seen any, I've only watched like one episode of it. Have you seen that like Hulu show 
where it was it's Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin and they're just being filmed like while Paul talks about the Beatles and Rick Rubin like asks stupid questions. No, but I I love his uh, Rick Rubin's podcast. I need to watch that. I find Rick Rubin to be one of the best interviewers. Okay, well, you should watch it because I disagree. <laughs> he he does this thing that's so weird where Rick Rubin will like just kind of like stand there and listen to him and he seems really nervous and he like does this thing with his eyes where he like makes his eyes go all wide and he just kind of goes like like he just nods with like a kind of dead smile on his face it's it's worth watching I ask because I go ahead well I've never like the podcast isn't video so I don't know what he looks like but what I what I find so great about Rick Rubin is he's a quiet dude and you can tell he's just good at listening. I think the best thing, the best quality you can have as an interviewer is listening. And I feel like, I feel like most interviewers are just waiting for the other person to finish talking so they can say their next question. And you can tell Rick Rubin is like actively taking in what the other person's saying. And I think that's special. You, uh, you should definitely watch that. It makes me wonder what Rick Rubin was like in the studio with Johnny Cash. Like it would, I would have liked to be a fly on, fly on the wall for those sessions. Like whenever he handed that nine inch nail song to, mm-hmm. uh, hurt to Johnny cash and be like, okay, let's try to cover this. I, I'd, I'd love to just be able to see that process. I think he's a genius of the highest level. You think Rick Rubin is? Yeah. I disagree. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think he's any more of a genius than anyone else. Well, maybe we're all geniuses of the highest level. I just, I just, I, I have become more critical for myself of like referring to people as geniuses because I feel like it displaces the person referring to this other person as a genius. It like displaces your credibility as like a genuine and valuable creative person too. I feel like I spend a long time in my life like putting people on pedestals and stuff like that. So I don't think you're wrong. I might just be being argumentative. I don't know. But I think I do. I mean, I think he's great at what he does for sure. I mean, I think he deserves to be put on a pedestal. If I'm being honest, like, yeah, he's shaped I, the I, way modern rock, the fuck, it's punk, a po- hip hop. Like, we've been doing this for a hundred episodes. You got to be honest. No, I know. I, I just think in the past thirty years, like, no one is more important to music to me than Rick Rubin. Like, yeah, fuck that dude is like. And the and the fact that you know you think of a lot of producers like mm-hmm. Ross Robinson and a lot of the like modern, especially you know more rock about guys. That than me. I feel like their way of getting good stuff out of a band, out of an artist, is to like kind of be mean to them and make them uncomfortable, like like a sports coach, you know, like Bobby Knight, like a drill sergeant. And Rick Rubin is all about this like Zen, mm-hmm. and he's still able to get people to reach deep down inside without resorting to being mean yeah and that's pretty incredible to me like that style of almost like coaching a person through kindness uh, of the four main dudes on rainy street one two three rainy street who would you want to produce an album for your band what's rainy Han- street that's uh hank hill street oh uh so you can choose well, hank dale bill Boomhauer. And then we'll throw Khan and uh, Lady Bird on there as well. Because of what I just said, like me admiring 
a kind of zen <laughs> kindness. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Bill Dotrieve, a thousand percent. <laughs> no. He's the hey. Rick Rubin of King of the Hill. Yeah, he's a great character. Man, that's a good choice. I thought for sure you were going to say Boomhauer. No, I might as well just record myself. Can you can you do a Boomhauer impression for the audience? I can't. I really will, can't. Will you try? Will you try? Uh, bad seeds, man. That's pretty good. You were mumbling a little bit there. I couldn't understand, but the everything else I heard. Let me Let's, ask you, Jake. If you were, if you, do you think there's anyone who? I know a lot of times your thought process when you go into writing a song isn't lyrically based, so you're probably thinking melody first, but if you did write songs that way, mm. is there anyone whose passing would compel you to write a song about them? Hmm. Celebrity-wise, I mean, I'm sure people you know in real life would, but as far as like musicians or an actor or anything like that. Hmm. That's a good question. Probably the the last actor that has passed that I think would do that for me would be Philip Seymour Hoffman. But as far as like a musician, I mean, if there were anyone that I would do to to have done it about recently, it would have been like MF Doom. Unfortunately, I feel like I've been in this like creative funk, so I haven't I haven't worked on music as much. I've been doing more writing, so I think it'd probably be somebody. Like, oh, fuck, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, recently, after reading about John Lennon, I've been really sad that John Lennon's dead. I love, I, I feel very similar to John Lennon. I feel like when we were in a band together, I was John Lennon and you were Paul McCartney. Maybe Paul McCartney, man. But I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, Paul McCartney has so much music. I feel like I have, it, it'd have to be somebody that I had like a, a really long, Maybe maybe Kanye West, you know, I, I really loved Kanye's music. I can't think of an artist that I loved for a longer period of time probably than him. Um, Fat Mike maybe would be a great person to write a song about if he passes away. Um, I don't know. And then probably like Frank Ocean would be really sad. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a great question. What about you? Oh, I don't. I don't know if I work that way. You know. Like, oh, you know what, Andre three thousand. Yeah, I'd be pretty sad about it if he died. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine how I'm gonna feel if certain people died, but I don't think. I feel like the good thing to do is to make art to get through when you're not feeling great, like the bad stuff in your life. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can only make art when I'm in a good place. So I don't know if anyone passing would compel me to write a song. Uh, just so the listeners don't cancel us, we would both be very distraught if Nick Cave died, and we would definitely want to write a song about him. I don't know if I would, though. I think I'd be too, like, upset to really feel like making yeah. something. Yeah, it's interesting, huh? That's just not how my, my... I wish that, like, when I felt depressed, I was compelled to, like, make shit. That's not how I work, though. I'm sure there has been stuff that I've made since my dad passed away that was influenced by him. In fact, I'd imagine that a lot of the music I made when I was first started making, like, I play. I think I only played like two, maybe three or four solo shows in Louisville, but a lot of that music was very influenced by, like, you know, just kind of like improv, uh, speedy songwriting, kind of lack of songwriting. That that stuff may have been more directly impacted by my dad, but. 
I don't have a lot of songs that I've direct. I've I, I've written more songs probably about Cody than my 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 father passing away. You know. All right. To wrap it up, Jake, if Let the Bells Ring was a person, where would you take them out on a date? Hmm. It's a good question. Well, probably Chick Fil A. Yeah, I stole it from a really good uh, someone I really admire. Probably. <laughs> uh, actually, I take it back. I wouldn't take him to Chick Fil A because I wouldn't want to support ch- Chicken Fillet. Okay, here's what I would do. I would get in my little red car that broke down in the summer. And so I had to quit my job at the Great Escape because I couldn't drive there anymore. And um, at the end of my shift at Heine Brothers, I would go get, I would make sure to bring a uh, herbal tea home in a cup. And then I would take the herbal tea with me on the date. I would pick up my date at their house, of course, because I'm a gentleman, and I would pick them up and uh, take them to the post for uh, fresh pizza. Um, you wouldn't t- bring a drink for your date? I brought a drink, tea, for them. Oh, I thought it was for you. So this is Let the Bells Ring. This is Johnny Cash, and you're not going to give them sweet tea? Wait, I'm taking Johnny Cash on a date? I thought I was doing... No, I'm just let- saying the spirit of the song will let the bells oh. ring southern. Oh, I feel like you'd want to give them a, a sweet tea. Well, I'd said it was tea. I didn't say it was sweet tea, but you I said I, herbal tea, like some. Well, it, it depends. Yuppie. Like what? What time period are we talking about, Johnny? Like maybe he couldn't do sugar anymore. I was trying to be considerate. I'm not saying it's specifically Johnny Cash. I'm just saying the embodiment the idea, of the song the is probably going to be Cash. someone who appreciates Southern things. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. A peach cobbler. I uh, I make them a peach cobbler. I call them up. I'm like, hey, I made peach cobbler. Or I got a surprise for you, honey, like Joe Jack. And um, I bring the peach cobbler wrapped in like some aluminum. And then, you know, I get to their house. They probably live out in the woods or something like that. Um, they're cooking up a substantial meal. So I get there and you know what? I just bring them a big old bucket of fried chicken and some fixins and... I give them the peach cobbler, and then we go out by the fire, and I pull up some fresh well water, and we uh, we watch the moon and sit by the fire and uh, sing lullabies to each other. And then I carry I that him, sounds lovely. I carry him I back would. into the cabin, and there's no air conditioning, and it's the dead of summer. So, uh, I would love it if you did that for me. Well, Cor- Courtney did that for you a while back. If you remember, she took you to a cabin. With yeah, no it would conditioning. be more special if you did it. <laughs> if I did, did it. <laughs> All right. Well, I think I've bullshitted my way through this episode substantially. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, thank you for listening. You can You're email welcome. us at jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. I will. You can see what we do on Instagram nah. at jubileestreetpod again. Okay. Thank you again for listening, and thank we you. will... See you all shortly. Me, Jake Curtis, Blue the Intern Dog, the whole crew you know and love. We'll be back. We'll be back with another special.